looking to step up to the microphone, where we step up for our faith in walking out God's commands and the testimony of Jesus Christ. This is our weekly Torah portion, Shemini, Leviticus 9-11. through 11. Father, we thank you for this day. We ask you to forgive us of anything that we've said, thought, or done that's not like you. We ask you to be the one, be with the ones that couldn't be here when bring them back safely. And the ones that are here, we ask you to touch minds, open hearts, and more so, let us learn something new from your Torah, and more importantly, let us be able to apply it in our lives. In Yeshua's name, I ask, and I pray these things. Amen. Amen. All right. Chris, would you like to start us off? Yeah, give me a second. I got to find what I'm going to read out of, because I've got like eight different things here, but um, I'm just... Okay. Um. Uh, um, no, I have a different style because I'm I'm going to do off the style, like as far as what we do at synagogue, because if we're going through reading um, and somebody's reading and then it usually gets to at the end of a sentence or the end of a verse, somebody will, you know, jump up, say stop and then make a point. Um, so if I just stop you, it's not to be rude or anything. That's just how I'm used to doing it. So that way, because I think that way we kind of get a lot more done, because if we go through and read everything, then it makes it harder to make points because if you're like me, you know, studying ADHD or ADD. So that's just, I'm going to throw that out there. Um, Leviticus chapter nine, verse one. I agree on with the, you too on that because um, before you go, I agree with you on that too, because last one, the Roman study helped a lot more doing it that way. So. Well, I noticed if, if you just read, then by the time it's over with, people forget stuff. And then your, you know, two hour study just is like 15 minutes. So. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Leviticus chapter 9, verse 1. Um, on the eighth day, Moses summoned Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. Stop. So already, what's important about the eighth day? They uh, was summoned. There's a reference in the New Testament to the eighth day as well. Is that the Lord's day? It was the um, eighth day of Sukkot. Um, uh, John chapter 7, verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival... Yeshua stood in a loud voice and stood and said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. So if you guys know anything about the festivals in Torah, um, the eighth day festival is the greatest and last day of Sukkot, because basically you're packing up and you're going home, but it's still a high holy day. So also with eight, eight is very big in new beginnings because um, I want to say even in Judaism with the way the seats are wrapped, you have those bindings around the uh, before the knots. The first one is seven and the second one is eight. So you have seven days of creation. And then there's the tradition is eight days up to the, the there were eight uh, temple steps up to a higher level of sanctification. But basically eight always represents as far as a new beginning or a new start. So we can already see from this right here. This is where there was the sanctification of the priests, because during this time, and it'll go through it further, Moses is the one who is basically the intermediary, but then it switches to Aaron. 
so you have kind of a changing of the priesthood, which gets into a whole nother subject. But this is the first thing that caught me, that caught my eyes in regards to the eighth day. French, I know that, Chris. There's also another one in, I want to say it was Nehemiah 8.18, where they read every day. If you guys are on like multiple smart devices, don't be afraid to even type in a search, you know, Nehemiah chapter eight, verse 18, day after day from the first day to the last Ezra read from the book of the law, they celebrated the festival for seven days. And on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. So you see here that eight is always something big. Anybody got anything else on that? I was actually in first Kings today and um, first Kings eight verse 66. It says on the eighth day, he sent the people away and they blessed the sovereign and went to their tents rejoicing and glad of heart for all the goodness that Yahweh had done for his servant, David and for Israel, his people. And this is when um, Solomon had just built the temple and all the people came to put the Ark of the Covenant in the temple and they had Sukkot. I didn't know that, that's cool. Okay, let's pick it up from verse two. He said to Aaron, take a bull calf for a sin offering and ram for a burnt offering without blemish and offer them before the Lord. So this is actually something that I was reading from rabbinic commentary. Why was a bull always a central part of the sacrifice? Or I should say calf. Golden yeah, calf. Exactly. Um, it's stated by the sages that basically, and I'm summarizing here, that God said, okay, you're going to worship this thing. I'm going to make you destroy it every time. So that way you remember, you know, and it's kind of like the situation where we as parents, we have that situation where we can give something to our kids. And by the time it's over with, that kid spends more time with it than they do us. And so that's when we jump up and put the hammer down on it, uh, cough, cough, bow, <laughs> to let them realize that, you know, we love them, but everything that we, has, we have given them is for a reason. And when it's used improperly, we can take that thing away from them very quickly. I can't remember, remind me, Chris, in the sin offering, wasn't that the sin offering? Was it a lamb too? I can't remember. I had to go back and look. I know definitely the, the, um, Oh, I'd have to go back because I've got that marked in my Bible too. It's in one of my um, one of my charts and graphs because I know they had sin offerings, they had fellowship offerings, they had grain offerings, they had peace offerings, um, and they want to have they had something else. But the sin offerings or even the offerings themselves, because not all offerings were just for sin. You had some that was like if you just were thankful to God, like hey, I'm going to go give this to God. So those get very intricate and detailed so but yes micah i'm gonna agree with you with that i think that there was a lamb in there as well that's the, that's the case why didn't they look at the lamb the same way then why they look at that when they look at that differently than the bull you're saying that that with the golden calf incident that's what they were always going to look back on that's why he said destroy it why would he not do that with the, why did he have if it was a lamb was a sin offering then why would that be the case i can't say uh, that's something that I'd have to study more upon. That's a good question. I would say the main reason why was just because that, again, I mean, there wasn't anything in regards to 
uh, lambs being used for any type of idol worship. And I'm sure that also had a big deal with them coming out of Egypt because I want to say one of the Egyptian pagan gods was a bull, uh, I think a bull with a man's head or a, a bull head with a man's body. So I got the sin offering right here. Hold on, let me read it real quick. Go ahead. Um, says, uh, one, the Lord spoke Moses, tell the Israelites, when someone sins unintentionally against any of his Lord's commands, he does anything prohibited to them. The only priest sins bringing the guilt on the people is to present the Lord a young, unblemished bull as a sin offering the sin has committed, and he must bring a bull to the entrance of the tent before the meeting to the Lord, lay his hand on the bull's head, and slaughter it before the Lord. The anointed priest must take some of the bull's blood and bring it into the tent of meeting. The priest is to dip finger and the sprinkle of it in the seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. Let me see if we go down further and see it talks about the lamb. It keeps talking about the bull, the bull fat. I guess I'd go back further and look. Still talking about the bull. Because my whole thing is with this is I'm trying to figure out because everyone says that the sin because we know that Yeshua took away the sins of the world, right? Um, if that's the case, then if he was the lamb, that's supposed to be a sin offering. That's what everyone says. He took away the sins. And he was the ultimate lamb sacrifice and took away the sins of the world. And if it was the bull, was the one that was the sin offering. That's what I'm trying to get to in my point in this. The bull was a offering, but the ultimate offering was the... Um was the lamb because that's what's offered on Yom Kippur or Pesach, uh, Yom Kippur Day of Atonement. They have a goat. Anyways, you carry on. I'll see if I can find it. No, you're good. Is, Is it, anybody else anybody else got anything they want to add? Down here it says offering a lamb bring an unblemished female instead of a male versus a male was for the um, Passover. Micah, take it over for me if you would. What verse did you leave off again? I'm sorry. I think three. Uh, three, all right, nine, three. And tell the Israelites to take a male goat for a sin offering and a calf of a lamb, male yearling without blemish for a burnt offering, and an ox and a ram for a fellowship offering to sacrifice before the Lord, and a grain offering mixed with oil. For today, the Lord is going to appear to you. Anyone stop me if they want to bring up anything. They brought what Moses had commanded to the front of the tent of meeting, and the whole community came forward and stood before the Lord. Moses said, this is what the Lord commanded you to do, that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Then Moses said to Aaron, approach the altar and sacrifice the sin offering and your burnt offering. Make atonement for yourself and the people. Sacrifice the people's offering and make atonement for them as the Lord commanded. So Aaron approached the altar and slaughtered the calf as a sin offering for himself. Aaron's sons brought the blood to him and dipped his finger in the blood and applied it to the horns of the altar. He poured out the blood at the base of the altar. He burned the fat, the kidneys, and the fatty lobe of the liver for, from the sin offering on the altar and the Lord, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He burned up the flesh and the hide outside the camp then he slaughtered the burnt offering aaron's sons brought him the blood and sprinkled it on all sides of the altar now i want to pause for a second why did he have all these different sacrifices at once before they entered the sanctuary because it was the inauguration they had to go through all these at first so that way even the priesthood could be clean 
then mm -hmm. everybody else could do their thing. Okay, makes sense. I I noticed that in uh, First Kings as well. That that's the the book that I'm reading through right now. I noticed that they did thousands of sacrifices when they first dedicated the uh, Hayakal. You said thousands. Uh, I believe it says that there were too many to count. Wow. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to look that up uh, for sure, but it was a lot. And Aaron's sons brought him the blood and sprinkled it on all sides of the altar. They brought him the burnt offering, the piece by piece, along with the head and burned them on the altar. Why do you bring it piece by piece right there? Anybody have an answer for that? If not, I'm going to continue. I'll have to look that up on my own. Uh, Micah, just to chime in right here while you're paused anyway, it's 1 Kings 8, verse 5, um, and it says that the slaughterings were so many sheep and cattle that they could not be counted or numbered. And we're, and that, that's what they did to before they entered the sanctuary, correct? Yes, this was the dedication of the temple after Solomon had built it. So this was the dedication portion of it, and they just slaughtered a bunch of animals. Um, they made sure that all of the utensils were clean and everything, and all of the people and everything were clean. I wonder what they did on such a large scale, since it was such a large, it, it was like, um, it was larger, and it was not movable at that point. Because they wouldn't have to redo this every time they moved the sanctuary, would they? Or moved the tent of meeting, would they? No, I think it was just the inauguration thing, just like in regards to whenever a new business is opened up and they have the blowout sales and do all that. It's like a one-time quote-unquote promotion. But after that, you know, business as usual. All right. Aaron's sons brought him the – okay, I'll stop it. Then they brought – I'm in verse 13, Leviticus 9, 13. They brought him the burnt offering piece by piece along with the head and burned them on the altar. He washed the entrails and the shanks and burned them with the burnt offering on the altar. Aaron presented the people's offering. He took the male goat for the people's sin offering, slaughtered it, and made a sin offering with it as he did before. He presented the burnt offering and sacrificed it according to the regulation. Next, he presented the grain offering, took a handful of it, and burned it on the altar in addition to the morning burnt offering. Finally, he slaughtered the ox and the ram as the people's fellowship sacrifice. Aaron's sons brought him the blood, and he sprinkled it on all sides of the altar, and they also brought fat portions from the ox and the ram and the, the fat trail, the fat tail. Oh. Okay. Sorry, I was just going to say, why is this important in regards to telling you what time it is? What time it is in the day or time of the year? time it is of the day because you can take this to the new testament whenever cornelius uh was it was saying it was about the ninth hour um because there was two times for the the, the sacrifices you had one at nine one at 9 a.m and another one at 3 3 p.m so whenever it talks about cornelius doing offerings as far as him going up to the temple at the ninth hour that would have been about 3 p.m so he was also going along still with the the sacrificial system that's what time uh, they put Yeshua on the cross, too, and when he gave up the ghost. 
I know Islam has their prayers of five times a day, but Judaism is mandated that you pray at least twice, one in the morning and one in the evening. If you go back to the patriarchs, um, whenever we do a Torah portion again, um, the three patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, each at a certain time in a certain situation in their life, the text says that one went and prayed in the morning, one prayed in the, like the noon time, and then one prayed in the evening. So that's why you have the morning offerings um, at least offering three times a day. Twenty, and the and place these on the breasts. Aaron burned the fat portions on the altar. Put um, but he waved the breast and the right thigh of the presentation offering before the Lord, as Moses had commanded. Now, why do they wave it? It's called teruma, which is like heave, uh, like whenever they're doing it. And we think of just, you know, offering it up, but actually they're kind of like heaving it over their shoulders, like they're quote unquote, throwing slash giving it to God. But what was the reason behind that? Like, why would they, is just like you said, give it to God or? Correct. Yeah, it was just basically the representation of, you know, we're, we're giving this to God. And Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. He came down after sacrificing the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the fellowship offering. Moses and Aaron then entered the tent of meeting. When they came out, they blessed the people, and glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Fire came from the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell face down on the ground. Now, when he says the fire like the fire came and consumed it. Do y'all believe that was lighting, lightning? That's why I've always saw it. I think it's the same as when uh, Elijah called upon him to light his sacrifice. Yeah, that's what I think. What's y'all thoughts? I think it was some type of holy fire. Holy fire? As far as lightning-ish type... Um just something that could consume it because i mean you have it was so hot that like with elijah it licked up the water and the dirt around the sacrifice so did it come straight from god or an angel i personally think it came straight from god and i i just imagine like this just tunnel of fire coming down from the sky that's always what i've imagined but a lightning bolt kind of makes sense too that's why i think just because lightning i mean electricity is fire so that's why I saw maybe a massive lightning bolt came down. I don't know. But if not, I'll uh, let someone carry on to the next chapter. Who would like to read uh, chapter 10? Sorry, I, I forgot. I was just going to throw one little bit of information in there. In 9, it talks about uh, on 922, it says Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. Sorry, one second. Okay, sorry. Um, of course, the dog have been, dogs have been fantastic until right now, and then they go nuts. So, um, in Leviticus chapter 9, verse 22, it says, Then Aaron lifts up his hands and uh, toward the people and bless them. So you guys are all familiar with Spock and Live Long and Prosper, right? They what? Are you familiar with uh, Spock from Star... Star Trek? Yep. No. He got, he got that, that hand sign that he does is, is half of the priestly, priestly blessing. It's called the Kohenim Berkat. And it's what they do in regards to to bless the people, the sons of Aaron. So um, I find it really interesting because if you go to Luke chapter 24 and verse 50, this is after the death, burial, and resurrection of Yeshua. It's right before his ascension. 
he says, and he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. So it's just one of those th small things that you really don't pay that much attention to, but it has a lot of meaning. So why would he have lifted up his hands and blessed them? Just a question. Oh my gosh. So in first Kings, um, this is chapter chapter eight and verse 54. And it came to be when Solomon had ended praying all this prayer and supplication to Yahweh, that he rose up from before the altar of Yahweh from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread up to the heavens. And I highlighted that because I had that question earlier. Why was that the way he prayed? They get that as far as with the, the hand signals. There's another scripture that says that he looks through the lattice, which is like I don't know really how to describe that, but basically like a, I don't even know how to describe it. Like I said, basically he looks through something to, to see you, uh, which it, it comes out of Psalms, but basically the whole hand signal is a, is a tradition. Now what he specifically did, it doesn't state as far as in the tradition, but that's the tradition that's come through times in regards to lifting up your hands. And uh, if you look it up, it's, it's really interesting. So, but I just thought it was interesting that it says Yeshua lifted up his hands in the new Testament you know, I don't believe him to be, of course, per what scripture says, part of any type of Aaronic priesthood, but I still believe he was a part of the Melchizedek priesthood, which I know is a whole nother conversation for another day, but I think it's interesting. All right. Y'all want to bring up anything else in this chapter? We'll move on to the next. It says, didn't it say something about the glory of the Lord in chapter nine? In verse 23, it talks about um, it appearing yes. to all people. Yes, okay, and it says, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the people. It says, and Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of the congregation and came out and blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the people, and there came a fire out from before the Lord. Now, in um, Exodus 24, 10, this is the angel in the wilderness. Going, I lost my place. Uh, I'm going to have to bring this back. I just lost my place. Going, it was talking about the glory of the Lord, but it was speaking about the angel in the wilderness. That's why I asked, is that God sending it or is it an angel? Because when they first got into the wilderness, you know, um, it was an angel for like 47 chapters, <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> you're not wrong. No, it was an angel. And that's why every time I see that, it just reminds me, I'm like, is that actually God sending, sending that down? Or is that his ministering angels, you know, a flame of fire, just like the, the fire in the burning bush, Yep. you know, just like the pillar of fire in the wilderness so i'm gonna say something and see if what the room consensus is i don't think that god has ever directly dealt with man i think every instance that there's been a situation of an interaction it's always been a, an angel or it's been a messenger it's not been god directly because with god being as holy as he is and man being as sinful as what he is even I would say just the, the body composition. I don't think we could have any interaction with him whatsoever. That's why there's always been a mediator. 
Yep, I yes. agree. With Thank you. And also, I'm going to take it one step further. The Tower of Babel. He said, yeah. let's go down and see what they did. You know, they say, people say God's there where he sees everything. Or is it his, his messengers that are coming back and reporting to him? Right. Well, it yep. says nobody has seen God. No man has ever seen God and lived. But, yeah. And I don't, I don't think he sees everything because they had to go down and physically. He said, let's go down and see what they have done. Yeah. So he can't just see everything up there is what I'm thinking. He has to send his messengers to go see and report back to him. Yeah. It, it makes you, it makes it more of a uh, personal to me. Like he sent, he sent his prophets. He sends his, um, his angels. He sent his angels to, you know, everybody thinks that Moses, God gave Moses the, Ten Commandments or the writings, that was an angel that gave that to him. Yep. Yep. So every time I just brought that up, it just, as soon as you read it, I'm like, glory to the Lord. Okay. That's an angel. That's why I asked the question because, you know, it's, it's agency. I, I'm a firm believer, believer in that for sure. Yep. So my version says the esteem of Yahweh, and in the New Testament, it also calls him the esteem of Yahweh uh, when referring to Yeshua. So I, I definitely don't think that we have ever interacted with the Father, um, but I do believe that we've interacted with the mediator in the Old Testament, and sometimes that was Yeshua. That's just my personal take on it. If um, I see it like, like esteem or glory, same thing, but he sends his messengers, just like the prophets. He sent all the prophets, and then uh, I think it's Hebrews Hebrews uh, 1, 1, where it says, he spoke to us in past times by his servants, the prophets. And in these last days, he speaks to us through his son. Plus, he, we know that he sends angels. When we know that um, Jacob was wrestling with uh, the, the angel, wrestling with God, I think it says in um, Malachi that it was an angel. Isaiah. And he said, bless me, bless me before you leave. You're going to bless me. So, just thought that. Sorry, sorry for the rabbit trail. My bad. That's fine, scripture. Well, no, I mean it, it, it's that goes back to the whole deal with people will say, "See, it, it says the glory or God directly appeared right there." So, I mean, it's part of it. It's the it's a situation of having a preconceived idea and a preconceived notion of the text that we've always we we've, we've grown up with. So, it's good to go back and forth about it. It's all right. Does anybody else want to bring up anything here? Okay, let's go um, chapter 10. Who would like to pick up chapter 10? And correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, the Torah portions are literally just like Leviticus 9 through 11. Though. All the other stuff is just extra, correct? Yeah. Um, okay. it, well, it's just the, the extra, the, the half tour is the, the um, extra writings that are just coincide with the Torah portion itself. Okay, that's what I thought. I just want to make sure I was correct on that. Okay, if nobody wants to pick up chapter 10, I'll continue to read then. I'm I can, scared. Micah. Okay, 
Go ahead. I can read. Um, starting in 10. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his fire holder and put fire in it and put incense on it and brought strange fire before Yahweh, which he had not commanded them. And fire uh, came out. This right here. This while I was reading this. Um, put the fire in place and incense on it and present unauthorized fire. So that means that the Lord did not call upon them to make that sacrifice, correct? <laughs> I took it to mean that. I also took it to mean that um, they had put the fire together in a way that wasn't prescribed by Yahweh. Um, I'm not sure on that, though. What if they, now, weren't they on the outside? You know, they were, they were on the outside of the, the holiest, you know, the holy holies right there. What if they took fire from where they cooked all the animals and stuff and took that fire? and put it in the fire, you know, lit the fire with it. I think it was multiple situations. I think they went in when, when they weren't supposed to, they did what they weren't supposed uh, did what they weren't supposed to like, as far as, because if you look in the later passages, it says that you can't come in whenever you want to. That's one. You offered strange fire. That was two. Number three, uh, not to be intoxicated when you come. So I don't think it was just like a situation of them doing one thing and God being like, oh, fry, fry, I'm going to fry you like a piece of bacon. I think it was a situation of they were just so haughty and did so many things at one time. God was like, mm, I can't let this one slide. So because everybody was watching them, you know, Yep. you can't you can't just let that go. Mm -hmm. There's the tradition in Judaism where there was the one guy who was picking up sticks uh, on Shabbat that he was put to death. But. Um, the tradition in Judaism is that it wasn't his first time. Uh, he had done this another time. Um, even in Judaism, they say that there are situations that deserve multiple warnings. You at least get two warnings. So I would say that this is the reason why Nadab and uh, Abihu didn't get a second one is because they went all three at one time. <laughs> was that guy that was picking up sticks, he was going to go to work though. Yeah. And, and he was openly defying what God had already commanded. Anyone else have anything? Okay, verse two. <clears throat> and fire came out from Yahweh and consumed them, and they died before Yahweh. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what Yahweh spoke, saying, by those who came near me, let me be set apart. And before all the people, let me be esteemed. And Aaron was silent. And Moses called to Meshael and to Elsaphan, the sons of Uzel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, come near, take your brothers from before the set-apart place out of the camp. So they came near and took them by their long shirts out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and to Elizar and to Ethamar, his sons, do not unbind your heads nor tear your garments, lest you die, and wrath come upon all the people. But let your brothers, all the house of Israel, bewail the burning which Yahweh has kindled. And do not go out from the door of the tent of meeting, of, of, of the tent of appointment, lest you die. For the anointing oil of Yahweh is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. And Yahweh spoke wow. to Aaron, saying. So why would, I know that, I think I understand why they did this, but why did they tear their clothes in mourning? 
I would say it's like a symbol of like showing that they're mourning. You're in such great distress is that you just, I don't even know how to, to explain that because being a parent, if I lost my child, yeah, I would be um, tearing clothes and throw, putting dirt on your head. Those were the two signs. Something that I, that, um, I also thought, it says that basically it was um, Aaron's nephews that came in and took the two sons, but he still had two more sons. Why did he tell them to take them out? They couldn't touch a dead body or they'd be defiled. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. They'd be unclean. They wouldn't be able to serve. It says in Leviticus uh, 21, it kind of describes just what, what you read. 2110 it says and he that is high priest among the brethren upon whose head the anointing oil was poured and that is consecrated to put on the garments shall not uncover his head nor rent his clothes neither shall he go into any dead body nor defile himself for his father or for his mother wasn't it um didn't it so to tear his clothes wouldn't it disqualify him to be the high priest Yes, um, because that was a thing that happened in the New Testament whenever Yeshua was brought before the council. Yeah, they asked I, him to tell him as far as if he was the son of God. And after he said what he said, he ripped his garments. So, yeah. So that would have disqualified uh, Caiaphas for being uh, the high priest. Yeah, the, the tradition of Israel was to tear their clothes in, in grief in 2 Samuel um, chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. Then David and all the men with them took hold of their clothes and tore them. They mourned and wept and fasted till evening for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the army of the Lord and for the nation of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. All right. What was that for? But the high priest had a different set of rules for that. I'm just saying, like, he was not allowed to tear his clothes because there was no, didn't they make the clothes with no, they just made it with one hole, you know, put your head and arms through and. Yep. Yeah. Does anyone else have anything for that section? Um, I'm in verse. Lost to Jackie. Clean and the clean. And to teach the children of Israel all the laws which Yahweh has spoken to them by the hand of Moses. And Moses spoke to Aaron and to Eliezer and to Ithamar, his sons who were with him, take the grain offering and um, take the grain offering that is left over from the offerings made by fire to Yahweh and eat it without leaven beside the altar for it is most Kodesh, uh, set apart, sorry. Um, so stop. So the leaven, um, they're saying to eat it without the leaven. Now, is this because it is unleavened bread, like the feast of unleavened bread, or is this because this is what they always did was eat it without leaven? So tradition is that this was Pesach <laughs> uh, because from time frames, um, the first sacrifice that was done with Adam and Eve was a Pesach. Um, you had the previous Pesach, and then you have the time frame of them being in the wilderness for 40 years and then coming out doing this. Uh, the inauguration would be another Pesach. So God is always being on a cycle, and this is just completing another cycle. I like to add something. Um, or it talks about, um, and Eric uh, said, do not drink wine or strong drink, 
thou or thy sons with thee when they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. So when Yeshua was, was with his disciples, he said that he would not drink of the fruit of the vine until he comes back. So that he hasn't had a drink in like 2,000 years. <laughs> I mean, he's doing he's doing priestly duties up there. Yeah, he, he's couldn't drink, he couldn't drink until because he was going into the sanctuary. Exactly. That's what this is about. He's not allowed to have any wine or anything. I, I was gonna uh, be a smart aleck to add to that, but so in 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 regards to like AA, I wonder which chip he's on. <laughs> oh gosh, oh, expert gosh. level. Right. <laughs> also, also, um, in in verse ten, it, it says that you may make a difference between the holy and the unholy, and between the clean and the unclean. In Ezekiel forty four. Let's see right here. Yeah, right here. Talks about the uh, sons of Zadok coming back to, to keep the charge of the sanctuary. You know, um, and it says that they're going to minister to the people in the new king, in the you know kingdom of the new Jerusalem. And it says they will teach my people the difference between the unholy and profane and cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. So, you know, a lot of people think that once the kingdom sets down, there's, you know, nobody being taught or, you know, the sin is, you know, the Christianity teaches the sin, sin has gone away. It's, there's no more sin, but people are still learning at this point, which brings up the Isaiah 2, 3 account where it says, come, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob and let us, let him teach us his ways. Mm -hmm. So, this is pretty cool. I was gonna let Miss Tammy come. Miss Tammy, I'm sorry. I've I've been looking at my other screen. I didn't I didn't see your hand up. You can kind of. Our group has become pretty tame for the most part on not speaking over each other. So you can just jump in and talk yep. to kind of fill it out. So we've gotten pretty good about it. Um, isn't like isn't all the showbread made without yeast? Um, somebody point me around what chapter it is next to this. I can't remember exactly. For Pace Talk? No, the um, the showbread. Exodus 25 30. It says, put the bread of the presence on the table before all times, but it doesn't say what it was made of. So, well, Wiki says it's highly probable. Keep the conversation going because I'm going to go to some commentary. Okay. Yeah, y'all continue on. We'll do some research while y'all are going through it. Do you want me to continue reading? Yes, ma'am. I was muted. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, we are in chapter 10, and I'm in verse 13. And you shall eat it in a set-apart place because it is yours by law and your sons by law of the offerings made by fire to Yahweh, So, uh, for so I have been commanded. And the breast of the wave offering and the thigh of the <clears throat> contribution you eat in a clean place, you and your sons and your daughters with you, for they are yours by law and your sons by law, which are given from the slaughterings of peace offerings of the children of Israel. 
the thigh of the contribution and the breast of the wave offering they bring with the offerings of fat made by fire to bring as a wave offering before Yahweh. And it shall be yours and your sons with you as a law forever, as Yahweh had, has commanded. And Moses diligently looked for the goat of the sin offering and saw it was burned up. And he was wroth with Eliezer and Ithamar, the sons of Aaron, who were left, saying, Why have you not eaten the sin offering in the set-apart place? Since it is most set-apart, and Elohim has given it to you to bear the wickedness of the con congregation to make atonement for them before Yahweh. See, its blood was not brought inside the set-apart place. You should have eaten it without fail in a set-apart place as I have commanded. And Aaron said to Moses, See, today they have brought their sin offering and their burnt offering before Yahweh, and these have come upon me. If I had taken the sin offering today, would it have been right in the eyes of Yahweh? And when Moses heard that, it was good in his eyes. Does anyone oh. want to continue? Got a little dilemma. Because uh, it says in 13 that you shall eat, eat it in the holy place because it is thy due. And the sons do of the sacrifices of the Lord made by fire, for I, for so, for so I, am commanded. Aaron didn't. Aaron didn't eat the uh, what he was commanded. He was supposed to eat that offering. I think the commentary is the reason why is because he was in such grief he couldn't do it um, because yep. this was a joyous, joyous occasion. So if he's doing it. The phrase in Spanish is a fuerzas. If he's doing it because he's forced to do it, he doesn't want to do it for that reason. His heart wouldn't be in it. His heart wouldn't be in it. Um, mother, go ahead. You can just speak up for now. When we're um, this group, like I said, this group is done pretty good as far as just speaking. Okay, uh, so this is going back to when we were talking about, you know, who was it communicating through the, you know. To us it was through the angels you know with the bush and all that so it made me think and i'm i might be totally getting the names wrong everything but enoch was supposed to be translated back to the garden correct uh that's my yes. understanding that he was yeah he was yeah. Um, translated to the garden and god walked him in the garden no god himself i wouldn't believe walked in the garden um because uh -uh. he god could, wasn't down here I don't believe. No. He's always sending his angels. I believe he was sitting in the mercy seat the whole time up in the kingdom. Not the kingdom, but above. And the uh, that's where if you believe in the different levels of the firmament, the most high level of the firmament, or of the, yeah, the different levels. I think Enoch died. Hmm. Me too. I think, I think he died too. But I, I'm saying that the garden was still on the ground. I believe he, I believe he, my understanding is that he died after 300 years of ministering in the Garden um, of Eden. That's where no. he was translated to. Yes, 11-1. Does anyone want to take over for me? I can, I guess. <laughs> Good, Dustin. I was going to volunteer tier you. Anyway. I was getting ready to say it. I was going to hit it. <laughs> I always get volunteered. It's not even volunteered. Volunteered. 
<laughs> you want me to read it? I read it. No, I got it. <laughs> All right. Leviticus 11.1. And Yahuwah spoke to Moshe and to Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, These are the living creatures which you do eat among the, all the beasts that are on the earth. Whatever has a split hoof completely divided, chewing the cud among the beasts that you do eat. Only these you do not eat among those that chew the cud or those that have a split hoof. The camel, because it chews the cud but does not have a split hoof, it is unclean to you. Stop. Okay. Sorry, I was just going to say. So if you really break this down, I didn't realize this, but you can eat giraffe. Yep, sure can. Oh. I think we were, we were talking about that the other day. You want me to continue? Go ahead, Dustin. All right. Was I, I think I was on six. Yep. All right. And the hair, because it chews the cud but does not have a split hoof, it is unclean to you. And the pig. And the pig. <laughs> Though it has a split hoof completely divided, yet does not chew the cud, it is unclean to you. Their flesh you do not eat, and their carcasses you do not touch. They are unclean to you. These you do eat of all that are in the waters. Anyone that has fins and scales in the waters, in the seas, or in the rivers, that you do eat. But all that have not fins and scales in the seas and in the rivers... All that move in the waters or any living being which is in the waters, they are an abomination to you. They are an abomination to you of their flesh you do not eat and their carcasses you abominate. All that have not fins or scales in the waters are an abomination to you. He's putting a lot of emphasis there. It's all <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and they these and scales. What, what is it? Flounder, they have fins and scales, right? Flounder? Yeah. Uh, I think. I know I have yeah. a list of like all the clean fish. Or they have fins and scales, but they're bottom. They, they, they're usually on the bottom. So we're chickens, but they're clean. Yep. That's, That's what I'm weird. saying. Yeah. <laughs> talking about that in your live. Does it say flounder? Yeah. Mikey, um, you... If it comes out of the water, I'm not eating it. Yeah, Flanders. it's clean. Flounders are clean. Yep. Yeah, that's what my understanding is that they are clean, but I was always wondering because they always they're also on the bottom. So when they be bottom. Oh, I can't. It's clean. Yeah. Or at least considered it. I can't wait to talk about the owl here in a minute. Oh goodness. Okay, here we go. Where was I at? I think I was on a twelve. Oh, what about shrimps? No, unclean. no shrimp. Bottom I'm shrimp. not eating. I'm not eating a sea cockroach. That's what I was about to say. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, the bottom <laughs> feeders. Any shellfish or bottom feeder or anything without fins or scales are unclean, like catfish, shrimp, lobster, crab legs, uh, anything of that nature. You can't really, you're not supposed to eat eel. So, um, I, think be, I think this would be a good time to bring it up too. Uh, and Chris, I watched some of your live, and they were kind of talking about this. But they're they literally clean the sea, yep. like yeah, they yes. are. They're, they're nature's uh, garbage disposal. They're vacuum cleaners. Yeah, that's why that's why catfish always hang out on the bottom because they're cleaning the, the river. They're cleaning the lakes. Yep. And that's Have why you never pigs seen the, um, hang out on the air. They clean things. <laughs> the shrimp that you buy, like for uh, your little tank, you get the little shrimp. 
that people get those instead of having to like clean their tank, they get those to clean their tank. Yeah. Yep. So, so yeah. this is something else. Talking to people, like when you tell them, like, hey, when you eat shrimp and you get that little piece of dirt that you're eating, that little grittiness, and then That's you explain cool. it to them, they're still like, yeah, I don't care. I still, I'm still going to eat my shrimp. Bruh, man, you're too far gone at that point. It's and like this is also to... why our oceans are so polluted now. Yep. They're taking everything out of the ocean that cleans the ocean. Yep. And they make it a delicacy. Do you know what I found out yesterday? Um, that people have like a huge amount of plastic in them. Yep. And I was looking at that because I was also I also saw a video of what they feed pigs. And they're feeding pigs plastic. And I'm like, hmm. And, and bottom feeders eat a lot of plastic, too. Yeah. So they clean the seas and stuff. Um, so I, I want to add this, too. Uh, that would mean, in theory, that the ultimate uh, environmentalists are those who keep Torah. Yep. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Check right. Definitely, because like we let the earth rest yeah <laughs> you should you know you should ask people if they if they would eat a turkey vulture that just what ate a deer that? on the side of the road because Ooh. if you had a pet pig and you were walking down the side of the road and there's a dead deer and you let that pig go off its leash he's going to go over there and eat that thing yep. mm -hmm. period that's what pigs do so when i was a kid my grandparents worked for for tyson somebody i want to say it was tyson anyway they had pigs and they would take the chickens they had because they had a huge chicken chicken coop and everything they would take the dead chickens throw them in like these um like boiling water like they would cut 50 gallon barrels cut them in half boil them defeather them and throw them out to those those hogs and they would eat like everything and i can still even as a kid remember that smell and thinking that's probably not a good thing since they would probably eat me too. Even there was another situation where one of them um, like went crazy, like it just had babies and ate its own babies. I've never heard of any animal even eating its own young. Actually, that's pretty um, normal. Especially for bottom feeders. Chicken, chickens will eat their own babies. Their own. I think dogs will too. Yeah. Have, have you guys ever heard? Animals will. Cats will eat people. Yeah, I've heard, Have that. heard of EnviroPig. No. What? And this yep. is true, you know. EnviroPig, and it just reminds me of Isaiah sixty-six seventeen. Yep. Um, EnviroPig is where they're taking the DNA of mice and they're splicing it with pig to try to make the pig cleaner. Yep. I know in North Carolina. Uh, North Carolina is like one of the top producers for hog farmers. And when we had Hurricane Floyd come in one year, it contaminated everything in the, in out by the coast. I mean, they, it, there was dead pigs everywhere. And the, and the, uh, the pig ponds and everything overflowed and went everywhere. It just contaminated everything. It was really disgusting. Nothing without water down there. Huh? Left them without clean drinking water, too, I believe. Left them without clean drinking water, yes. Down the coast. Yeah. yeah. Pigs um, pigs are good for the sense of clean, and that's it. 
Um, Just like rabbits are good for fertilizer. Throw that out there. Isaiah 66, 17. Those who sanctify and purify themselves to go into the gardens, following one in the midst, eating pig's flesh and the abominable, the uh, sorry, and the abomination and mice shall come to an end together, declares the Lord. So, I mean, they are trying to make a pig that is um, environmentally clean. I wonder if that, that verse is always like, it's, it just made me think of that, you know. Didn't they put a pig's heart in somebody and the dude died? Yeah, yes, they did. They've been, they, they've been trying to make chimeras for a long time. I'm a really long time. They've yeah, been right before. They've been here before, and they're going to do it again. So would this go into the same conversation as... All that have not fins or scales in the waters are an abomination to you. And these you do abominate among the birds. They are not eaten. They are an abomination. The eagle and the vulture and the black vulture and the hawk and the falcon after its kind, every raven after its kind, and the ostrich and the night hawk and the seagull and the hawk after its kind, and the little owl and the fisher owl and the great owl and the white owl and the pelican and the carrion vulture and the stork and the heron after its kind and the hoopoe and the bat. And the bat. Dad, do you have your King James in front of you? What's that? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. What you need? Think about the swan. The swan says right there. Which one is that? Where, where does that say that? It's there? eighteen. It says, "And the swan, and the pelican, and the and the gear okay. eagle." So the white owl, right, is what it says. So a lot of like people will, from what I've heard, this is kind of what my theory was before: is the swan would have been a part of the duck family. So with that said, it's talking about the owl, I believe the great owl, whatever, and that right there would mean that duck would be considered a clean animal, wouldn't it? Wouldn't be or would be? Would be. You're saying the swan is part of the duck family, right? But that, but it's an owl. So which one is it? Is it an owl or is it a swan? Because it's making uh, it pretty clear about how much. Now, what's the what's one thing about all of those guys? They're all predators right yep yeah a duck is not a predator true yep. neither is a swan i, I think oh. ducks are too cute to be predators is that pelican <laughs> duck, a predator? duck, duck's a predator man <laughs> pelicans are predators they go and they attack fish they, they swoop down and grab fish out of the and, ocean i mean out of the water and storks what do ducks Same eat thing. they and what is eat, a cuckoo a duck eats like um, grass or any kind of feed. They're more like chickens. Yeah, they, yeah, they like insects and stuff. They don't care what they eat. They're ducks. Yeah, they're more like chickens. They eat like yeah. chickens. Do they eat so, fish? What's the cuckoo? No, they don't eat fish. I don't know. Yeah, I don't believe they eat fish, right? I don't know, <laughs> I've never seen one swoop down and grab a fish out of the water. Have y'all? I, I don't know if they went on that for the fact fact check fact check. <laughs> somebody, somebody Google that. Yeah. What am I fact checking? Do ducks eat fish? Give me a second. Give me a I don't. And then I've, I've eaten I got a duck a, one time and I didn't really like it. I got a, I got a question too. Uh, does anybody else have another translation that right before the bat and uh, 
eleven nineteen. What is a hoopo? I feel like I've looked this up before, but I forgot. Mine says right. lap lap wing. <laughs> lap wing? What the heck is lap that? Lap wing. Okay, oh, so ducks. Ew. Ducks eat grains and grasses and aquatic plants and invertebrates. Yep, so they don't eat fish. Okay. No. They're not a predator. Like I said, ducks are too cute to be predators, bro. Right? What's that? <laughs> there was another animal we were supposed to bring up. What was right before the rabbit? What versus the rabbit? Um, this is the first five. The county? The hyrax. Okay, I got to show what a hyrax looks like. It looks like an old dog, dude. Coney's like a badger. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. Let's show what a looks like. Mine doesn't we, say. We were looking this up and we did the Torah portion on uh, um, the other day here at the house Wednesday in our study. Let's do this one. That's, that's a normal. Can you post? Thing. Can you post a list of the clean and non-clean things? Yes, we can. Uh, we we need to do that. Wow, we're failing. We should have already put that in our group. It way like, if you go if you go like way up in the clean eating, there is lists. That's actually where I've gotten like all of my lists because somebody will, like <laughs> post something, and I'm like, I'm I'm gonna download this. That's a high racks, dude. Dang. Yeah, thing. It's like a rat on steroids. Yeah, yeah. that's like. A, that's like the main boss in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or something. Look at him. He, he, looks, he, he looks angry. <laughs> yeah. Earth. All, all flying insects that creep on all fours is an abomination to you. Only these you do eat of every flying insect that creeps on all fours. Those which have jointed legs above their feet with which to leap on the earth. These of them you do eat, the Arbe locust after its kind, the Solam locust after its kind, the Hargal locust after its kind, and the Hagab locust after its kind. But all other flying insects which have four feet are an abomination to you. And by these you are made unclean. Anyone touching the carcass of any of them is unclean until evening. And anyone picking up part of the carcass of any of them has to wash his garments and shall be unclean until evening. Ah. Okay. So um, if you touch a football, are you unclean? No, not real pigskin. Okay, if it was real pigskin. I don't think uh, so. Says carcass. I'm weird yeah, about that subject. I'm kind of like... Uh, Kill the animal if it's terrorizing your land. Like, but if a wild boar, for instance, is up in my land and it's just straight up murking everything, yeah, I'm gonna kill it. <laughs> but I'm not gonna eat it. I'm gonna go bury it somewhere away from me. So, but what's the I'll thing that makes you unclean in it? it? Like touching it. The blood. The blood. Moisture. Moisture. Well, because John the Baptist had the camel. Dealy Bob that covered himself. What? <laughs> Don't make fun. He had, it, it said that he had a camel skin or camel fur. I think it was said camel fur. I might have to look at that Strong's number. Strong's 19, whatever. Dilly Bob. Dilly Bob. Able, so he actually had a camel hide on him. Yep. Okay. I, that's good information. No, I didn't know that. 
But it is worth noting that apparently you can shear a camel. Mm-hmm. Like you do a sheep. So what? that's interesting too. <laughs> like some research needs to happen on that. I'll I'll say this. Um, I know that it doesn't say like, you know, 10 years down the road, if if something was made out of an unclean animal skin, it doesn't say that, oh, that's that's an abomination. It says carcass. But I'm kind of like Micah, like if it if it's not a clean animal, like I try to avoid it unless I can't. Like when I go, like I wear leather gloves and I try to always get cowhide or deer skin. I prefer the cowhide because it's a little bit more rigid or at least the companies make them more rigid. So in regards to that, I try to stick to only clean animals. Wasn't there something to that, the unclean um, as far as until the evening, right? Yeah. Like yourself, you're clean. Yeah, you would be ritually unclean until the evening and then after the morrow like you're you, you got another shot <laughs> you know what the I mean? next day yeah the, the tabernacle was made from impure animals as far as like some of the skins and stuff i had heard that too yeah so this is where i my, my whole thing with um being moisture in there but what would be the so you mean like after after they like salt it and cure it, like it's it's fine. Yep, I would say so. Okay. What if you got it wet after? It's already been through the process of being salted and cured. Okay. Yeah. We do know we have to get kind of down and dirty to skin this thing, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. I don't know. I, me and my wife were talking about this the other day, actually. All right, so 26. Every beast that has a split hoof not completely divided or does not chew the cud is unclean to you. Anyone who touches their carcass is unclean. And whatever goes on its paws among all the creatures that goes on all fours, those are unclean to you. Anyone who touches their carcass is unclean until evening. And he who picks up their carcass has to wash his garments and shall be unclean until evening. They are unclean to you. And these are unclean to you among the creeping creatures that creep on the earth, the mole and the mouse and the tortoise after its kind, and the gecko and the land crocodile and the sand reptile and the sand lizard and the chameleon. These are unclean to you among all that creep. Anyone who touches them when they are dead becomes unclean until evening. And whatever any of them in its dead state falls upon you becomes unclean, whether it is any wooden object or garment or skin or or sack, any object which in which work is done, it is put in water and it shall be unclean until evening. Then it shall be clean. Any earthen vessels in which any of them falls, whatever is in it, it becomes unclean and you break it. Any of the food which might be eaten on which water comes becomes unclean. And any drink which might be drunk from it becomes unclean and i just want to clarify to anyone who has the question um back then they had you know mainly like uh like the red clay pot type deals and that's why it says uh you have to break it in regards to like your plastic cups and stuff like that nowadays like because i'm sure there's plenty of us here that go to like uh flea markets and stuff like that and see cool cups 
you can't be certain that somebody didn't put, you know, unclean things on these things. They don't have to be broken. This is my opinion, but it's when you cast have, iron. huh? About cast iron. I would say the same thing with cast iron because you can clean it. When it, in regards to like the red clay, it soaks into that. So there is no, you know, scrubbing off a surface layer or putting any, uh, like soap or any detergent or anything like that on it. You can't do that with red clay. And that's why well, it says break when it. When the cat, the cast iron soak in though, whatever you cook in it. So how do you really clean that fully? Uh, that's why I, I won't buy, I won't take an old woman's cast iron that's from the South. I, I, I will say that I don't. I usually buy my stuff new anyways. Uh, yeah. But in regards to that, it does dry out. You know what I mean? And if you go through like the restoration process where you put the vinegar and stuff like that in it, it's definitely going to dissolve anything or anything and everything that was in it that was unclean. So, but I just wanted to add that because I had seen something like a video or something where somebody was like, do I got to, I gotta destroy my stove. <laughs> like, <laughs> like <don't> do that. <laughs> no. <laughs> it was some Ajax. Yeah, there you go. Ajax. And that's good. But as far as the earthen vessels, yeah, that's why they it says break it because there is no cleaning that you can't scrub that clean because it soaks into the very being of that vessel. So um where was that? Okay. And starting at 35. And on whatever any of their carcass falls becomes unclean, an oven or cooking range, it is broken down. They are unclean and are unclean to you. But a fountain or a well, a collection of water is clean. But whatever touches their carcass is unclean. And when any of their carcass falls on any planting seed, which is to be sown, it is clean. But when any water is put on the seed and any part of any such carcass falls on it, it is unclean to you. And when any of the beasts which are yours for food dies, he who touches its carcass becomes unclean until evening. And he who eats of its carcass has to wash his garments and shall be unclean until evening. And he who picks up its carcass has to wash his garments and shall be unclean until evening. And every swarming creature, the one that swarms on the earth, is an abomination. It is not eaten. Whatever crawls on its stomach and whatever goes on all fours, and whatever has many feet among all swarming creatures, the ones swarming on the earth, these you do not eat, for they are an abomination. Do not make yourselves abominable with any swarming creature, the ones swarming, and do not make yourselves unclean with them, lest you be defiled by them. For I am Yahuwah your Elohim, and you shall, be, you shall set yourselves apart, and you shall be set apart, for I am set apart. And do not defile yourselves with any swarming creature, the one creeping on the earth, for I am Yahuwah, who is bringing you up out of the land of Mitzrayim to be your Elohim. And you shall be set apart, for I am set apart. This is the Torah of the beasts and the bird and every living being, the creeping creature in the waters and of every being that swarms on the earth, to make a distinction between the unclean and the clean, and between the living creature that is eaten and the living creature that is not eaten. <clears throat> Boom. It says in 39, and if any beast 
of which you may eat die. He that touches the carcass thereof shall be unclean until evening. And I found this interesting that when you go to Deuteronomy um, 14.21, it says, you shall not eat anything that has died naturally. You may give it to the sojourner who is in who is within your towns that he may eat it or you may sell it to a foreigner for you are a people holy to the Lord God and I got questioned that one time and didn't have an answer for it do you have an answer now or are you, you kind of asking um, well it says if any beast of which you may eat die he that touches the carcass thereof shall be unclean until evening. What I'm saying is like we, we can't eat the beast that die of itself. Yeah. But we're but we're allowed to give that meat to the foreigner. And yeah. 1421, it doesn't say um, you know, your animal. In Leviticus eleven, it states that um yeah, and when says, any of your beasts which are yours for food, so like this animal was already supposed to be for food. It's not just like a wandering. It's not roadkill, you know. Like right. I attribute uh, in Deuteronomy fourteen twenty one, I attribute that to something like a uh, roadkill, but like something that you know would be around your dwelling place that you happen to find dead. Like then you would be able to uh, give it to somebody else and not eat it. Or you know, not another, not another Israelite, but like a sojourner, like one of the goyim or something. Like they would be able to eat it, but you can't. I got you. That's my, that's my take. From what it's, I kind of take it to like they're already unclean, so that unclean meat isn't gonna make them any more unclean than they already are. <laughs> I don't know. True. That's kind of how I take it too. That's true because they're they're not setting themselves apart. Exactly. They're not setting themselves apart. And then, um, you know, you can help them in a way like here's free meat to feed your family. You can show them kindness and it's kind of a win-win situation. Somebody asked me that one a uh, long time, maybe a couple of years ago, and I just didn't have an answer for him because he was trying to say that, see, we can eat unclean meat. You know, if it's good enough for the Gentile, how come, you know, I was like, oh, I don't, I don't know, you know, <laughs> but he was just going in, picking things out. This guy was just going and picking things out of the law that, you know, he wasn't really trying to, interested in learning it or anything. He's looking for straw, man. Yeah, that's all he was doing. Yeah.